means the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. You're not going mad. You're just as sane as I am. I must not tell lies. You seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to... What was the phrase? Come quietly. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We are covering chapter 20, Hagrid's Tale, and we have Jen back with us. Hello. We essentially just start this chapter by, uh, the last chapter ends with, oh, Hagrid's back. So we start this chapter with, we're going to see Hagrid, even though it's like the middle of the night. It's also, Ron just got back from like a walking like four-hour walk in the snow. He should be by the fireplace with like hot chocolate and a blanket. He also should have like passed Hagrid arriving at the hut. That's also a good point. But isn't it's kind of implied he didn't actually notice where he was going or what he was doing because he was out for four hours. What do you think Ron's thinking about as he's walking randomly about... I don't know. Do you think just life Quidditch? It's gotta be really depressing thoughts. Like, he's probably beating himself up way more than necessary. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And then the way he ended that last chapter with just, like, berating himself, and Harry's like, can you stop? I like Harry in that. He's just like, stop it. (laughs) If anybody should feel bad, it's me. (laughs) And then they just have a depression off, and it's, you know. Yep. Anyway. (laughs) So, we're here to talk about this chapter. So yeah, they immediately go visit Hagrid, and they realize very quickly that Hagrid is not exactly looking very healthy. Uh, he's in some rough shape. <laughs> so much so that he's using dragon meat as a healing option. How does does one just go to the butcher and get dragon meat? That's a good question. I imagine... Where did he get it? Is this like a Nocturne Alley type deal? Oh, I bet you're right. Because I can't imagine dragon meat is easy to come by. I wouldn't think For a so. number of reasons. Right. And it can't be cheap. Especially, so one thing I thought was interesting, in terms of sizing, he just, there. it's described as the meat is the size of an average car tire. It's a large That's piece a of steak. big chunk of meat, and he's like slapping it on his face and stuff. They also double down on his size of yeah. like twice the size of a man, three times as wide. I'm like, yeah. that's a big dude. Well, he needs a car tire of meat to... Just cover his face. Cover half of his face. Yeah. But it's also got to be heavy. Like, just a car tire of meat. Well, it keeps slipping and falling. Yeah. And then at one point it falls on the ground and Fang gets it, and he wrestles it out of Fang's mouth and puts it back on his face. I gotta agree with Hermione. That's not exactly the most sanitary. When your face is covered in bruises and wounds, no. not ideal. But it is nice to know that dragon meat does have the healing option. I guess we do learn about Hagrid's travel plans, so maybe he doesn't mention, but maybe he came across Charlie at some point in his travels, maybe. and maybe that's where he picked this up. Maybe on his way home or something. Or at least he wrote him and was like, hey, you got any, yeah. got any solutions for this? <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, you get a little bit of Hagrid's snark in this chapter with, like, obviously the trio eventually gets to a point where they annoy him enough and they surprise him with some knowledge that they shouldn't know. And he's like, oh, okay, okay, okay. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. And yes, I was going to find giants. And then they're like, well, did you find them? He's like, they're giants. They're not hard to find. Like, they're massive, massive creatures. That was one of my favorite 
parts in this chapter also because so he says that it's kind of easy to spot giants and he goes pretty big see <laughs> and ron goes where are they and haggard just goes mountains <laughs> <laughs> yep. and that just it kills me because it's uh haggard unhelpfully says mountains yep i just i imagine it in like the monotone just eh, mountains it's not a big deal nope I mean, come on, this is common knowledge, Ron. Like, well, what, are we, what are you doing here? Obviously not. I, I will say that I did not exactly remember just how far he traveled for this. For whatever reason, in my mind, and I shouldn't have, because there's really not, like, real mountains in Britain. Mm-hmm. There's some impressive hills. But that's about it. <laughs> and so it's like, I don't know why I had always thought that he was just traveling through Britain. I don't know why. Did you really? I, that's what I, for whatever reason, yeah. always remembered. Okay. And then when it's like mountains, wait, there aren't any actual real mountains. Oh, okay. Funny. So, and then I'm like, okay, well, maybe he just went into France because there are real mountains in France. Nope, he kept on going. So there's, there's a whole lot. But yeah, anyway. he, he, he went on a whole trek. He went on a whole trek, which I am super jealous of. But uh, he went with Olymp, who uh, he mentions is a fine, well-dressed woman. I saw that. Ha- Hagrid commenting on clothing is... It's so cute. A fine, well-dressed woman. <laughs> Just saying. All right. Hag- Hagrid feels a certain type of way. Um, but... Uh, we, we learned that Olympia went with him and that she proved herself uh, quite useful in a number of different ways. Uh, a, he was a little worried that a woman such as herself carries herself in a certain way might not be cool with roughing it, yeah. uh, sleeping in caves, sleeping on dirt, you know, whatever. Uh, and he was like, no, she was cool with it. Never had a problem. And then we'll get to some other uh, more interesting parts of her traveling with Hagrid, but uh, we got to um, know that Hagrid and Olymp were also tailed by a ministry official and I and he was explaining to again, the trio like you do realize we're rather large people, we don't exactly like blend in very well, it's pretty easy to spot us, so to tail us we have to work exceptionally hard to break, and they weren't allowed to use a whole lot of magic because Hagrid not exactly supposed to use magic and if a ministry official is tailing you that can get him into a lot of trouble. Yeah. So not only did they have to get away from this tail, they had to do it with minimal magic yeah. which is quite impressive. So they ended up with this story about how they were going to France on holiday and were going maybe by her school uh, and you know, sunshine on the beach uh, beaches of France and stuff like that, and that's great. Sounds very nice. It sounds wonderful. I would love to experience that. <laughs> I've never been to France, but <clears throat> they explained like once they actually broke the tail, they wanted to go further and further east. So they ended up running into they ran into some trouble. They ran in they ditched the ministry official, then ran into trolls by the Polish border, and then they had a disagreement. Uh, so not they, Hagrid specifically. <laughs> had a disagreement with a vampire in Minsk, which is the capital of Belarus. So they're going further and further east. He can't just drop that casually and not give more information. I want to know more about this disagreement with a vampire. Yeah, what do you think the disagreement was about, number one? And two, 
the way he said it means it just wasn't a disagreement. Like, they actually, like, threw down, I think. Probably. Because if it's a big enough disagreement to mention, it was probably a minor brouhaha. I'm assuming that it's like they both had to be held back and then, like, you know. Oh, yeah. Do you think it was like an actual fight or do you think they're like, hold me back, hold me back, and they're not actually trying to, like, fight? I think it was probably closer to that. Think it was a hold me back fight? Yeah, I think it was a hold me back fight. Gotcha. I don't think it was like a. What do you think vampire physics are in Harry Potter world? Are they like. That's what I want to know. Are they supernatural and like strength and speed or are they just like dudes that drink blood? (laughs) Like just regular people that drink blood. I'm hoping that there's a bit of of lore. I would imagine with the way that a lot of the other magical creatures are described, it's that it has elements of the, you know, like they would probably have some level of super strength. Maybe it's just been exaggerated over time in like folk tales, but like maybe they are more predisposed to being stronger and have a slight aversion to garlic, you know, so, uh, you know, something like that. Right. Um, but I, that's what I want to, oh, I love vampires and I would just love to know more about that. Well, let's just be thankful that it's Hagrid and not Lupin because, you know, that werewolf vampire rivalry, that's, whoo, that's a lot. That would be, that's too, be much. too much. Too much. We eventually get to the mountains, which I'm presuming if we're going that far east about it would be like, the Ural Mountains in, like, Russia? You're the geography guy. I'm thinking we're going, like, Eastern Europe, Western Russia, like, the Ural Mountains. I trust you. We're, we're going to go with that. I, I trust think your is, judgment on that. Is where the, these giants have been relocated? Because Hager gives us a little history on this. Relocated sounds very nice. Shunned? <laughs> I think shunned works. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so... Hagrid gives us a little history on giants here. He says that giants from around the world, he, he alludes to around the world, yeah. giants have essentially been ostracized and either just flat out killed, like genocidal just killed, yeah. or, again, relocated, shunned, whichever verbiage you would like to use, <laughs> to a certain location where they can live, quote-unquote, in harmony. Mm-hmm really just away from witches and wizards because he also points out that giants are not meant to be clustered together. Which makes sense. Especially ones from different tribes who are asserting their own authority. So essentially, yes, witches and wizards have killed many, many giants. Giants have killed many, many giants. Yes. So that's kind of a sad... Maybe Hagrid should just... Maybe Bins should just bring in guest lectures and have, like, Harry come in and give, like, a breakdown on the history that, like, the giant wars and stuff like that. Maybe he would be better at it. That would actually be kind of interesting. Yeah, maybe. Maybe everyone wouldn't fall asleep then. I know. I was intrigued reading this chapter. I know we had different thoughts on this chapter. Yeah. Um, I was actually intrigued when Hager got into the whole business of uh, courting the giants because I think it's, like, a super cool undercover spy mission with giants. I'm like, this is kind of cool. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, how, that's how he was describing it, which I'm sure is accurate. So he, he describes the, the giants because Ron is like, how big were they? <laughs> Thanks, Ron, because we were all uh, honestly wanting to know. Ron is asking the good questions. He's yeah. us. Yeah. He's, he's, he's our avenue our... of information. Yeah. Uh, and the giants were roughly 20 to 25 feet tall. 
and they were roughly 70 to 80 in number, uh, which is pretty significant. And then he gets to um, the nuts and bolts of what he actually had to do here, and props to Albus Dumbledore, because that man <laughs> is so up to date on his giant protocol, like, he knows all the ins and outs. He's very aware of just a lot. Which sounds really lame when I say it, but like he's he's very aware of giant customs. He's also aware of things that are going on in London. He's also got eyes in other places. Like he's just a very well-informed, well-rounded individual. I, I get for there are reasons why. Mm -hmm. I do understand that. But does it disappoint you at all that in these plays for allies, Voldy and Albus aren't in person on any of these themselves? I think it makes sense that you would send someone else only because there's probably greater risk for them to be out. I get, I get that you're like the general and you yeah. don't want to put yourself on the front line because yeah. if you go down then... That's essentially what it is. I think also for this it at least it, it's interesting for Voldemort but I think it was kind of a strategic play on Dumbledore's part because he has, I think he has gone out on like other missions to do things before, but he did send two half giants. So I think he was maybe trying to play an angle. Yeah. Play that angle a little bit. I get you. But, and I, and I understand the, you don't want to put the general like front line. Yeah. I get that. But when your generals are essentially gods, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're the, they are the two most yeah. predominant wizards on the planet yeah not much can touch them other than each other <laughs> like that's true but it might be more he might be needed to be doing other things fair i don't know it's just like, like this wasn't a high priority if he us. is so up on giant customs and how this all works yeah maybe and I, this is gonna be a weird take for me <laughs> and i already know if i was a giant <laughs> if i was a giant and you're like, oh, Albus Dumbledore sends his remarks. I'm like, oh, where is he? <laughs> like, why doesn't he come? Yeah. Like, if I were the Gurg here, <laughs> if I'm Gurg of the Giants, I'm asking them, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. Where is he? Like, yeah. I, I, how about he comes and speaks to me, and then I'll actually listen. So you don't want to hear it from anyone except the head If guy. you're trying to court me into a war, yeah. I'd best be talking to the man. Well, but then it also goes for Voldemort, right? Like you're not yeah. going to talk to the Death Eaters if it's no. not Voldemort. No, I'm not. So, I'm not talking to a pawn. I want. I want. I'm maybe, a leader. Then maybe I'm going to talk to a leader. Then maybe neither of them are going to come, and then you're just going to sit this one out. I'd probably survive. That's fair. <laughs> so, I mean, you seem a little bit more diplomatic, maybe even some of the giants. Fair enough. That's fair. Uh, we so I just mentioned Gurg very flippantly. The Gurg is the chief of the giants, uh, who we get to know is Carcass. He does not seem like a particularly diplomatic, uh, wise giant. He's fat, lazy, and ordering others to bring him food. He's roughly 22 to 23 feet, so I guess he's above average size? He's not the tallest, but he's, he's above average. Right. 22, uh, 22 to 23 feet tall, with a weight of roughly a few bull elephants, which is 
significant. That's uh, that's several tons. Uh, so it's big dude. Yeah. We get to uh, the pomp and circumstance of this whole thing. Yes. So there is a procedure that needs to be followed when you're courting giants. You have to bring them a gift. And the gift can't just be anything. They tend to like magical gifts because they can't do it. Yes. So the first gift presented is a branch of, I'm going to try to pronounce this, Gbraithian? That's what I would have guessed. Fire. Uh, and that essentially is everlasting fire. Which is a pretty neat... It's a cool gift. Day one gift. Might take a while to like prove that that's a thing. Like everlasting fire. Like what do you do? Do you pour water on it and then it still goes? I was about to ask you that. Yeah, I'm assuming... And like do you cover it and then uncover it and it's still going? Oh. Like, like, Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Like how do you prove... It might take a while to prove yeah. that that's, it never goes out. Uh, but they mentioned that they recognize that this is a pretty cool gift because they, while they don't come off as very smart, they're more with it than you think because they themselves, as giants, know that not every wizard can do that. Yeah. Uh, like, that's a pretty special form of magic. I thought that was neat that they did actually recognize Yeah, they're, that. they're more uh, with it than I think some would recognize. And I think yeah. that's what... Albus and Voldy would both be indicating to their envoys is like, whatever preconceptions you have of this race, they're more with it than you think. And they're more dangerous than you think. Tread carefully. Yes. <laughs> I guess is the bottom line. We also know that not all of them speak English because he had to grab a couple of giants to translate. I think it's amazing that some of them even did. I think it's amazing that there's a couple of giants that can speak more than one language. Yeah. Which is just further a point to... Yeah, to what you just said. Of like, they are more Don't underestimate this, yep. this particular race. But Albus also knew that he needed to bring multiple gifts over multiple days because it had to be a slow courting process to establish trust and let them know that you'll keep promises. I thought that was clever. Very clever. I, I, talk about a diplomacy tactic. He is an absolute master... He's playing this chess game well. Yes. Uh, but second gift is indestructible goblin battle helmet, which is just awesome. It's pretty, I mean, pretty cool. every word of that was awesome. <laughs> indestructible goblin battle helmet? Yes, please. <laughs> Give me one of those. I would love that. Here's the problem with it. Doesn't necessarily save you. That's true. I'd rather have it than not. That's fair. <laughs> so. I'll give you that. Also, how do you prove that? Do you just like bash on it? I mean, they tried. The you... helmet survived. Oh, well, yeah. The hell, yeah. The helmet did great. <laughs> that was the second day. Yeah. During the night, that second night into the third morning, they witness. Uh, what can only be described as violent chaos. Yeah. Uh, which ended with carcass literally becoming a beheaded carcass. Yep. Uh, with the head <laughs> going to the bottom of the lake. And the new Gerg, uh, Golgamath, yeah. claiming the helmet for himself. As well as a necklace of what looked to be human bones. Uh, this is a particular type of giant. Yeah, that, that's not concerning. No. And then you essentially get uh, 
a lot of the giants around either with him or severely beaten. There's a vibe taking place here. But they try. They try. And they go to him with a roll, a great roll, of dragon skin. Which could also be a very cool gift. Also, dragon skin, hard to penetrate. You can use that for, like, a lot of different things. Yeah. Uh, It could be a uh, fireproof garment. It could be... uh, It's a little tougher, so it might repel some weapons. Like, you might not be able to get a a knife or an axe through that, depending on the... Unless it's just decorative and it's just a really pretty yeah, coat of dragon skin. Maybe it's just pretty, maybe, it's just coat. maybe giants yeah. just like pretty things. Maybe. I don't know. Makes a nice weighted blanket. Probably does. Maybe he's got some stress and anxiety going yeah. on after now he's ruling. Yeah. So, it's I stressful mean, being a leader, you know? Uh, apparently very stressful <laughs> to be beheaded during the night. Anyway. Uh, so that gift did not go over well. Uh, and he ends up holding Hagrid by his foot. Very quickly. Things happen very fast. And we just mentioned how big Hagrid is, so that's an achievement to just flippantly just hang him up by his foot. That's also, I don't really understand the logic behind that. So he comes and he's giving you presents. Yep. And he gives you this really cool present. Yep. And your response is to just be like, eh, I don't yep. want to see what this guy's got left. I'm just going to shake him upside down. I have a theory. So, Olymp uh, ends up saving Hagrid by using some quick spell work and ends up hitting the giant uh, with the conjunctivi- uh, conjunctivitis? 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 Yeah. Conjunctivitis curse. Right in the eye. Ow. Yeah. So, literally, you're giving the giant pink eye. Yeah. <laughs> is essentially what you're doing. It's a little rude, but I get it. But you know who used this curse and where she might have picked it up from? Who? Crumb. Crumb used it on the dragon in the Triwizard Tournament. You're right, he did. So I, she might have picked that one up from Victor Crumb. Well played, Madame Maxine. Yeah. Well played. So I, I, I don't know. I'm just saying we've seen that curse before. Mm-hmm. She happened to be a judge for that event. Certainly adds up. Maybe she was like, huh, when you're going up against pretty durable, hard-to-beat things, that seemed to work. Why not hit him in the eye? It, it is a good strategy. It is a good strategy. Eyes so, are a weak spot. I just wonder if she picked that one up from actual Victor Crumb. It wouldn't shock me. I mean, that makes sense. Maybe that's just a little Easter egg thrown in there. Yeah. So. Just a little detail, you know. But now we're getting to the point where uh, I think there's shenanigans in play. Okay. So. Dan is calling shenanigans. I'm calling shenanigans because they end up learning that Golgamath was more receptive to different envoys. Yes. They get McNair and another Death Eater that Hagrid couldn't recognize specifically. He knew McNair because he was the one coming for uh, Buckbeak. Buckbeak, yeah. So he's very acquainted with McNair. Good on Hagrid, speaking of from the last chapter of Fred, George, and Harry, like, not calm when Draco's taunting them. Yes. Good on Hagrid for not immediately rushing in there and trying to rip off McNair's head, which yeah. he, in theory, because this is technically a war is going yeah. on, <laughs> even though it's understated. Yeah. He says Maxime wanted to. Yeah. Maxime was all ready for like, hey, let's just take him out. We totally could. And Hagrid's like, no, we got a job. Yeah. <laughs> got to take care of this job. 
good on him for having the restraint not to attack I'm impre- McNair. Very impressed with Hagrid and with that. My shenanigans. Yes. What's is, your shenanigans? I don't think Golgamath just randomly decided to have a coup. You think he was egged on? Yeah. By yes, I do. The Death Eater. Ooh. Okay. I, I think they I went into this camp. I've never thought of that before. They're not dumb either. And, and going back to what you were saying in the last chapter about um, Slytherins always get this uh, shake of being dumb, brutish, mm-hmm. like just all brains and, or sorry, all muscle and no brains yeah. kind of vibe, which is just inherently not true. Yeah. I think this is an example of, I'm looking at this as, McNair and that Death Eater did not go rushing into this. They also sat in the mountains and observed what was going on. They observed the giants at play, not just Carcass. They observed all of the giants and was like, that one. I think we can get to that one. Big dude, big giant, looked physical, looked mean. And we're like, you know, we might have some things in common with that one. I like this. I think we can make a deal. I think we can make a partnership. I think we give him the chiefdom, and he gives us his loyalty. And I think now we have a partnership. And I think they outwitted Hagrid, Olymp, and Albus. So I think give the win to McNair, whoever the other Death Eater was, and Voldy on this one. Huh. And they outsmarted our heroes. So I never thought of it like that. I thought that this was just kind of a random happenstance of they got unlucky in the Giants. I think it's a targeted fighting, coup. But that's... Ooh, okay. They assessed Carcass as being favorable towards Albus. Okay. So they're like, how can we unseat him okay. by giant dynamics, not us going in there firing spells? Yeah. How can we yeah, naturally... Cool unseat this guy. So you're saying this was a false flag average? Yeah. 100%. I like that. I really like that. I think they just outsmarted everybody. I never read it that way, but I really like that because that really adds a couple more dimensions to this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm on board with... Oh, okay. I like that. And that just... To me, that would... That's more towards your point in the last chapter of... All Death Eaters are just blunt instruments of death. Yeah. No, they have a brain. No, they're thinking. They don't have to fight themselves. They could coax others to do it for them and get the same result. I like that. That And that also does feel like a, a, a understated Slytherin dynamic. And the thing that made me think of that dynamic is because Hagrid mentions, like, you can tell Goldmap why he would favor McNair over them. Okay. They seem to have a similar mindset, a similar personality set. Makes sense. And I think that's what McNair saw and I think he exploited it. I like it. So that's my two cents on that. Also, before we get away from the Hagrid snark, uh, the trio's trying to get ahead of him on the story and trying to get more out of him and he's like, quote, hold your hippogriffs. So the beginning of the book when you, Elizabeth, and myself were on, we talked about wizarding idioms. Yeah. And we now have more wizarding idi- wizarding idioms to add to our collection. So we have 
hold your hippogriffs. And then later on, he says that there wasn't enough room to swing a needle. Yeah, that's true too. That's so another one. We gotta start. We gotta we got a list. We gotta please. start a list together here. And then what the um, what it's based. We on. should do a poll on that. What's your favorite wizarding idiom? Ooh, I like that. We have to go back to the first chapter and figure <laughs> out what those were. <laughs> yeah. I'll find those and please do. Send please send them to, them to you. me. So at one point during all of this, when he's talking about him and Madame Maxine, he gets distracted for like a solid 30 seconds before Harry's like, okay, that's long enough. Let's keep going. Okay, so here's my thing on that. While reminiscing on how fierce and wild and what a fine, well-dressed woman Madame Maxine is, while he's distracted by that, yes, it says... 30 seconds. Folks, do we know how long 30 seconds is? It's a really it's long, a really time. long time. Here, let's sit for 30 <laughs> seconds. That was like five. Yeah. That's that a long five time. Seconds and I can't take it that, that, that was a longer, he's, he sat there for another 25 more seconds. It's a long time. Things take a turn. And then Hermione kind of goes a certain kind of direction with it. And there's no easy transition to this, so we're just going to go with it. She asks about Hagrid's mother. Did he find out any information on his mother? Because we know his father was regular human. Uh, mother was a giant. And Hagrid says that his mother died years ago. Uh, which, again, given his brief history on giants, not entirely surprising, yeah. all, all things considered. Um, but Hermione's like, oh, whoops, yeah. can one of you speak and say something to save me from this awkward moment? Uh, which, looking to Ron for an articulate way out, is probably not your best option. Not but, your best play. Uh, anyway, we get a little bit longer into this, and then we get a knocking on the door. It ends up being Umbridge. The kids end up trying to get under the cloak, which I'm still amazed at 15, all three of them can fit under the one How? cloak. How large is this cloak? Right? I don't understand. Especially Ron with a particular growth spurt that he had, but whatever. I'll forgo that little issue, and <laughs> they all hide under the cloak. What they didn't, for, what they forgot to do was erase their footprints on the way over, which is just rookie ball. I was I mean, about to say, on. that's amateur. That's, For them, that's amateur. You know what they won't do is tell Sirius about this moment later, because he <laughs> will rip them a new one for not getting rid of the footprints behind them. Oh. Have I taught you nothing? Come on, guys. This is like sneaking around 101. Yep. Amateur hour over here. Yeah, for real. Very disappointing. Anyway, <clears throat> so Umbridge walks in and essentially questions Hagrid on where have you been, which... Honestly, fair question. I, you know, it is a fair question. I don't like Umbridge. He did kind of just leave for two months and not tell anyone where he was going. Yeah, and so... everybody's been oddly vague about it, and Dumbledore's not saying anything, and he has been, quote, away for his health as he looks like a beaten, bloody mess. And then he says he needs fresh air, which, again, fair comment coming back from her is like, you're the, you live outside. You're a gamekeeper. I love that line. Like, I mean, let's well, yeah, be real about it. Gamekeepers need a lot of fresh air. Um, like, she sees right there. I, I know she's being her. Yeah. Just taking her role outside of the other things she's already done. Yeah. And how brutal she's been. Uh, these This interaction is actually fairly 
mild for her. It, it's part of the game here. Yeah. I mean, it's not off base. She's being fair and asking these questions. Like, you're a teacher. You've been out of your post for two months. Where have you been? I don't know if my current job does this, but my past jobs have done it where if you don't show up for three days, you're just, you're fired for desertion. Like, they, they consider you having uh, willfully terminated your employment and they'll just genocide wow. you. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. The only difference here is his boss sent him away for two. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> like, fair. I'll give him that. But yeah, it is a little bit suspect. Oh, it is. Like, from Umbridge here, this is yeah. actually all fair. Yeah, like, she's a new, technically, administrator of the school. She should be able to right. know where her people are. It's unfortunate that Hagrid has not been informed of any of this and yeah. cannot form any better responses than he does. Hagrid is a terrible liar. Well, and he keeps looking at the trio in the corner under the cloak. Yeah, he's not great in pressure situations. No, no, he is. But and he just had a massive pressure situation for okay, months. Okay, let, let me rephrase. He's good in select pressure situations, and this is not one of them. This does give me one of my favorite lines of the chapter, though, where she's talking to him, and he turns to her, and he goes, "I don't mean to be rude, but who the ruddy hell are you?" That is that. a great line. That's that is a, a great line. line. And he has no compunction about it because he literally does not know anything about her. Nope. Like, nothing. He doesn't know about her decrees. He doesn't know that she's the high inquisitor. He knows nothing. It's uh, just some weird short lady who's grilling him about his whereabouts. And then, then she gets a little bit more pointed and is like, so who came and visited you? Because there's three sets of footprints walking to your hut. If that's a, do you think that that's a serious question by her? Or do you think that she knows? I don't think it matters either way. I think she wants an answer to it. And whatever answer he gives, gives her what she wants. Yeah, he can't answer that, and it, it doesn't inform her in some way. Right. Which makes sense. But I was just curious if she, if you thought that she knew who, who the students were. I think, I think she does. Okay. Because if she, she strikes me, at, at the very least, she does her homework. She yeah. actually does her homework. Yeah. And if she's asked anybody anything she would know that they were friends yes that he has a particular relationship with harry potter and then she can infer from there harry potter and hermione and ron and... i was also thinking because you always see the three of them together yeah yeah and you know they're very defensive of hagrid even in the class and stuff like that so yeah it's it, easy to put two and two together she's not she's abusive she's evil yeah she's not dumb no so I'm sure she could piece that together. My thing is, if I were her, the first thing I would do is go straight to the Gryffindor common room. Yeah. Catch him out of bed. Yep. Yep, that'd be the first thing i do. She also informs Hagrid of the impending inspections. Yes. Which, dun, dun, dun. if you're Hagrid, you're immediately anxious about because your abilities as a teacher have been essentially constantly questioned from the moment you took the position. Yes. Uh, some but unfairly and some fairly. Some kind of fairly, but he's always had cover before and through Dumbledore, he no longer had cover. Correct. And even Hermione is like, I will write your lessons for you. I will literally do this for you because I'm a little worried, <laughs> which is not a great sign. No. And the other great sign that worries them is he's like, oh, I got great lessons planned for your OWL year. Oh, it's going to be great. And they're like, oh, no. Yeah. 
I love Hermione being like, can't you just teach us like the normal things? And he's like, but the normal things are boring. And she's like, please be boring. But I have the only domesticated herd in Britain. So Hermione's a little worried. And she probably has right to be. Yep. And then she ends with like, I don't care about Trelawney, but they will not get Hagrid. She won't get Hagrid. So we'll see. We will see. With that, we will end the non-spoiler section, and we will get to the spoiler section of Chapter 20, Hagrid's Tale, where we talk a little bit more Hagrid. We'll be right back. Alright, so we are back with the spoiler section of Chapter 20, Hagrid's Tale, and while Hagrid was telling the trio of his endeavors, which I still think are really cool. You did not find this chapter as particularly interesting? It wasn't my favorite. Um, it's a nice break from the school settings. Um, we find out, you know, it, it does fill in the gap of we find out what Hagrid's been up to. So it, it does have a little, a kind of a nice break. You know, his storytelling is, it paints a very different picture than where we currently are. Obviously, you kind of forget a little bit that Harry's just been told that he can't play Quidditch anymore. You forget about, you know, like all yeah. that feels far away when you're listening to Hagrid talk about all of the, all of the giants. But it just doesn't, it didn't really grab me as much. It's not my least favorite by any means. It just wasn't something I thought was, you know, phenomenal. Like I, I... When I was reading the last chapter, I was really getting into it. Yeah. Um, and then Umbridge came, and I was like, well, there we go. And then it was and kind that's of the a, general Umbridge effect. It really is. And then it, it felt like the same thing for this chapter. It's like, all right, we're starting to maybe pick up momentum. We're starting to find things out. We're starting to get answers. To, and there's Umbridge. Yeah. So it's like, she's just such a good thwart. I just, I liked it just because of the. You finally get a real peek at a real Order of the Phoenix operation. That's true. This is like our first real glimpse of the war. Yeah. And like how something really, really went. And it's cool. It's giants. Yeah. And you have literal Death Eaters and Order of the Phoenix members like going head to head trying to accomplish something. And honestly, it's a little bit of a twist that the Death Eaters win. I do like that with this. As much as it's kind of an emotional, like, no, you were making progress, and now you're not, and now what's going to happen? You know, like, it is, it's a little stressful in the sense of, like, well, what's going to happen now with the Giants? But it's nice to... I, I don't like plots where the good guy wins every single time. Yeah, no, 100%. So, like, it's a nice break to, like, it does make it a little bit more realistic. There are some stakes here. Like, you can fail. Like, I do like that aspect, too. And think story. of the stage that's set here, because if you remember book one, the threat that trolls presented, mm-hmm. and a giant is twice the threat of a troll. Yeah. So, so just scaling up. Like, you're literally facing a... Re- really big threat both literally and figuratively it, it's a problem it's, it's obviously Dumbledore thought highly of it enough to be like this is a priority we need to go do this Yeah. because this was a problem first wizarding war we're not having this again let's yeah. get out ahead of it and the fact that he has foresight enough to try to create as many good relationships with heads of state because I guess you can technically call the Gurg of yeah. the Giants a head of state because he's a head of a race of people <laughs> to try to treat as many of these 
members with as much courtesy as possible so that when he does need something down the road, they remember that he's done something good for them. It's really good diplomacy. It's very good diplomacy. Uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it does not. Yep. In this case, it didn't. And there is a little bit of hope that Hagrid still has that some of the giants will remember it. Yeah. So it might right. not be fully counted out. It's just Such... they haven't explicitly won all of them. I don't blame Ron for being like, oh, it's a lost cause. Like, I can't believe we lost this. Yeah. And it's a really nuanced, extraordinarily mature response from Hagrid was being like, it's not all lost. Yeah. Some might remember that we were good and there's an outlet for you. Yeah. And that's such a nuanced approach that it's I a, loved. I, I really enjoyed that part. I don't know if I appreciated that. Well, no. I know I didn't appreciate that enough yeah. when I was reading this as a kid. Yeah. But as an adult, I'm like, oh, man, that's a really cool approach to that. Yeah. And it's right. So No, exactly. Like that's a it was worth the attempt and you might still get something instead of just I never like attempting won't get you it at all. This is a chapter that as a kid I might have glossed over more and as adult I appreciate it more because I appreciate Hager's response to it all. I appreciate Dumbledore's prep in the whole thing. Yeah. More. Like just reading it as like, oh yeah, this is kind of how it should be done. Yeah. Kind of thing. And then the Death Eater comments that I made in the non-spoiler, too, of like, hey, wait a minute, there might have been some shadow operations going on on the side. I love that. Because that adds so much depth to it. Yeah. Where it's not just a random happenstance that these giants Oh, just unlucky. Right. It's a little bit more. There's so much more nuance there now of this is a strategy game on both sides. I think Hagrid might think of it as an unlucky break. Yeah. I don't think Dumbledore or Voldy believe in luck. I think they're two people that make their own luck. Even if it's brewing liquid luck, they're making (laughs) their own luck. I knew you guys were going to point out that Felix Felicity stuff. I wanted to cut that right there. (laughs) That being said, uh, Hagrid was still, even with all the information that he gave to us and the trio, he was still very vague on a lot of things. We don't know definitively how he got hurt. We don't know why Madame Maxine made it back so much sooner than Hagrid did. He's not answering all of these questions. Yet. Yeah. But very soon, we learned that uh, it wasn't just Madame Maxine and Hagrid making the trek back. He, uh, he, he brought back a certain somebody. And that somebody is... Grom. 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 His half-brother, Grom. Correct. And uh, Jen and I are both on the record as saying that Grom is not our favorite aspect of Order of the Phoenix. No, he is not. Personally, I I just don't think his storyline is relevant at all. It's not terribly compelling, and the only part that he is relevant in feels a little ham-fisted. We'll get into Grop more, but we'll just... Essentially, his whole plot is they're trying to keep him hidden in the Forbidden Forest. Hermione's trying to teach him some English so they can communicate better. It's not going great. It's not going well. He's causing a disturbance in the Forbidden Forest because he's not supposed to be there. They're not used to 
having giants or half giants or whatever just walking through because he's substantially bigger than Hager. He's like 15 to 18 feet tall. Mm-hmm. He's undersized for a giant, but he's still significantly larger, larger than Hager. Yeah. So the other forest dwellers are reticent of this massive presence because they're all aware that giants do carry a little bit of invulnerability to an extent. So the centaurs are like, whoa, we don't like this. Yeah. The, oh, I can't see Bane being cool with this. No, and, and just general other creatures are hesitant because he's essentially a petulant child yeah. of just like causing destruction because he's flailing about, he's, he's trying to move. He's a very dangerous petulant child yeah. because he's got the strength of, I don't know how many men, right, and the temperament of a of a right. so it's not a great combo that can't communicate well right. and it's there's a lot of problems keeps ripping up trees and as Hagrid is sent away eventually he leaves the trio in charge of taking care of Rob which is not ideal not it, it, <laughs> not ideal not ideal you know, put it lightly it's not you know ideal. he figured Harry didn't have an, enough on his plate so he was just like you know do this for me that'd be great it's so funny because Hagrid can be so insightful off, like, a lot of times when he tells Harry, you know, I feel like he's told him before, you need to focus on this, you need to keep your head down, you need to, like, he'll give him legitimate advice. And then in the middle of all of this, he just seemingly forgets himself, and he's like, yeah, can you take care of my my half-brother while I'm gone? And it's like, this is should not be even remotely on this kid's plate. My biggest issue is there doesn't seem to be the payoff. Like, I get that he's part of the distraction of Umbridge that mm-hmm. leads to her ultimate downfall and yeah. uh, aggressive dismissal. <laughs> from Hogwarts. I like, I like, like that, yes. Uh, yeah, she, you know, he's part of that whole chaotic scene in the Forbidden Forest with Umbridge. Understandable. Uh, that's not a payoff for me. It's not. And then the payoff in Deathly Hallows is he comes in and is part of the anti-giant force because obviously Voldy does have his giants on Hogwarts property. Yeah. And Grop was essentially a punching bag for them. And he gets a little bit of revenge but he's also not really fighting giants mano a mano. He's kind of just picking up Death Eaters and throwing them. And he's taking Acromantulas and throwing them away. And, you know, he's a chaos. He's literal chaos that he just throws into the battle. Yeah. That's not a good payoff for me either. If you removed Grop from this, you don't lose any. Correct. You could have had centaurs or something like that right. else cause the chaos in the forest just themselves. Right. Or whatever. Um, you, there's other things that could have happened. Yeah. Okay. And I get that some people are probably maybe yelling at us. Maybe they like Roth. Maybe they like that storyline. That's great and that's cool and, you know, that's awesome. Um, we'll get more into the Grop as he actually comes in and we can maybe dive a little bit more into the details of it yeah. as we get more. Because... Hey, I haven't read this book in a minute, and I have been one to read this book and do this podcast and reading characters that I didn't like or I had issues with, and then I'm like, wait a minute, this was a little bit more nuanced than I thought originally, or maybe there was a little bit more depth to this character than I had originally put in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe you'll be Grop's biggest fan. Sure. <laughs> I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> But I might be surprised. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe there's more details in there that I had long forgotten uh, that maybe 
smooth it out. <laughs> uh, so who knows? We'll get into it. This was just the foreshadowing chapter for Rop's Yeah, everything that Hagrid's uh, being vague about and around we're, and not disclosing. We're setting the basis for Grop. Yep. So, can you believe it? We're almost, we're halfway through this book. This massively thick this, book. It's a huge book. I, I can't believe it's already halfway. That's, that's crazy. It's crazy. So, and we have some massive, massive chapters coming up. As you know, if you're listening to the spoiler section, hopefully <laughs> you've also read them at some point. Are you having gotten this far through Order of the Phoenix? You said you reread it already, and now you're rereading it again for this podcast. Yes. Have your opinions on Order of the Phoenix shifted a little bit? Or are you still like, nope, I don't like this book? I am still very strongly in the camp of it. It's not my favorite book. Really? Um, yes. I think it's still probably my least favorite out of all of them, which I do find really funny because this was the book that got me back into Harry Potter. Because after I took a, a long hiatus. But I actually am very excited for the end of this book. Not because it means it's over, but because I actually, the, the best part of this book, in my opinion, is oh, I'd agree. what everyone says. Sure. It's the Department of Mysteries, because it's such a, for, first of all, it feels like something's finally happening. Second, Umbridge is out of the picture, because I really do not enjoy Umbridge at all, ever. Even in her final chapter, even when I know that the end is coming, I'm still gritting my teeth to get through it. But the fact that you even have that much emotion about it. But I don't want to feel that in my downtime. Fair enough. That's I, it. I understand. That's, I understand. She is so well written to elicit that kind of reaction. Sure. But yeah. I am just not the right person. Fair enough. For that. I, I know people that have stopped reading Harry Potter. Yeah. At book five because they couldn't emotionally get through it. Yes. Uh, I I do know people like that that yeah. just they they couldn't. They were emotionally overwhelmed. Yes. It, it, it is a very... Uh, I think of all of the books, that's for me, it's the most emotionally provoking. And I think that's why I have a strong reaction to it. And also why I just... It is tiring for me to read. And that's all where it comes in of like, I'd rather read something happy and fun and like neat instead of reading it and being like... Because I'm also the type of person to... I don't want to end like a if I'm reading the book at night or something like before bed, I don't want to end on something that's a downer. So I'm the type of person where I'll be like, okay, one more chapter because, you know, that one was upsetting. But the problem is there, I feel few, few chapters in this book where I can end on them and not be upset. Even Gryffindor winning a Quidditch match, a big Quidditch match, ended on to, a downer. Right. That's exactly <laughs> yeah. my point. Every It feels like there are so many chapters where it's like, Something really compelling and interesting is happening, and like, because I really enjoyed reading the all of the Gryffindor Slytherin. Like that's quintessential Harry Potter to me. But then when it ends with um, Umbridge coming in, it's like, okay, that's. A I downer. mean, this whole book technically like, well, ends on a downer because it's like Voldemort's now back back. This book is is a, is well, I mean, downer after downer. There's the obvious big one, it, right? But I mean, ultimately, the very well, end right. of the book is that's a Voldemort's now that's a huge, back. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of downers. It's a very emotional book. For this and then even chapters where you think you're safer you're like okay Hagrid's but you help. just said you love when the villains win a little bit it's not all heroes all the time I like villains who aren't I don't know there is something about Umbridge where she's on another level for me sure like I love Disney villains those are great love it when they win every now and then 
It ups the stakes. It's totally cool. I really do not like Umbridge. She just, she grates me. But but to, but to my point too, I, I want to get this out. Even innocuous looking chapters like Hagrid's Tale still end with with Umbridge. Yeah. Like you can't escape her in this book, and that's also what makes it so hard because you're like you don't know when she's gonna pop up. She's gonna pop up and ruin your day. That's what she does. I. I gotta say that that ending the chapter nineteen with her popping into McGonagall's office was a type of dread that is really an achievement of writing. Because when you get that pen hem, you you just know. Yep. And it, it's really it really is an achievement of her writing that she can even elicit that like oh no. Yeah. By just two little words yep. that aren't even really words; they're just sounds. She <laughs> like, wrote Umbridge. So it's, well, it's really good. And I think in the, I don't hate the movies like some people hate the movies. And I think Imelda Stanton really go. Oh, she knocked it out, knocked of, the park. It out of the park with yeah, that. Like she was I picture her when I read these books, and it's I hear her. Still, yeah, yeah. That's the voice yep. that I hear. Yep. It's so well Same. done. It's very well done. I hate every moment of it, but it's very well done. I can I can acknowledge when it's done well. I am very excited for the yes. Department of Mysteries, and I am very excited for the end of the book. We will have to figure out some special thing for the Department of Mysteries because I know all of us want to get our two cents in on that chapter. It is a wonderful chapter. It's it's a lot. So we'll figure out something special for it. Uh, We'll have some special episode or maybe we split it into multiple episodes. We'll see. Uh, We'll we'll figure that one out on our end. But (laughs) yeah, you have anything else? No, I think that's it. Cool. We will end it here for Chapter 20, Hagrid's Tale. Thank you guys for listening. Let us know your thoughts by commenting on the episode on Spotify or on Twitter. Uh, please participate in the polls that are also on Spotify. We really love hearing your thoughts and opinions on everything. Your agreements and disagreements with us uh, are always fun to kind of have. And we appreciate all of that feedback. Please repost and share the podcast. Help us grow. And if you're so inclined, click that support the podcast button wherever you're listening. And if you want to, you can donate financially. It's a lot of work and time that goes into this. So we really appreciate any of that. It it helps. (laughs) So thank you guys for listening. And we will be back next week. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts Supply.